Welcome back to the College Football Breakdown. I'm your host, Zachary Haynes. Another week of college football is over. Week 8, it's a breakdown. It was an interesting week, I, I would say, because you had multiple um, multiple bye weeks for each team. Um, the SEC had a bunch of bye weeks. It was kind of a boring week, but at the same time, it wasn't boring. Uh, there was a lot of key matchups, a lot of key games that were going on. And we're going to talk about all that and more on the podcast. Uh, first game we want to really get to, Clemson versus South uh, versus Syracuse. I almost said South Carolina. We'll get to them later. Uh, number 14, Syracuse, by the way, 6-0. Clemson, number 5, 7-0. Uh, heading into this matchup in Death Valley at Memorial Stadium. Number uh, 27-21 was the final. Um, it was kind of a... How, how would I put this? It was a first-half game for Syracuse and then a second-half game for Clemson. Uh, Clemson, Syracuse dominated the first half, um, maybe more to Clemson's error. The second half, Clemson absolutely dominated on defensively and offensively on those sides of the football. Uh, let's let's look at the bad. Let's look at the good first. All right, there is plenty of bad that we can look at for Clemson, um, but I, I want to look at some of the good. The defense played absolutely lights out in the second half. Uh, they allowed on seven possessions. Listen to this, 90 yards, all right? That last possession, they allowed 45. But on that, uh, those six possessions, they allowed six out of the seven possessions, 45 yards, six punts in the second half. That is elite. That is elite defense. Oh, excuse me there. Elite defense by that def- uh, defensive line and that secondary. Uh, they played phenomenal. They really struggled in the first half with Garrett Schrader. Uh, especially his legs, they they didn't really have a, a way to contain him in the first half, and the second half they did a tremendous job of that, containing his legs and and containing Sean Tucker, who didn't get a lot of carries this game. He had five carries. Um, Syracuse, one of your best players, and you're not getting him the ball. Uh, that's a whole different story. Will Shipley is a star. That's all I can put. Will Shipley is a star. 27 carries, 172 on the ground, two touchdowns, 6.9 yards per carry. 6.9 yards. Uh, this is the second straight game he's at a 100-yard game. Will Chipley's starting to come into his own. We, we knew from last year that he was a, a tremendous player, tremendous freshman year, but he, he was kind of plagued by injuries at the start of the year and, and in the middle part of the year, so we really didn't see him much. We saw flashes of potential that he could show, but this year, he's really settled into his own, especially the last two games. This game, he ran all over Syracuse. Syracuse did not have an answer for Will Shipley, and I think that's going to carry on throughout the rest of the year um, on how he's going to play. Now, we went to the good. There are bad that we need to talk about with Clemson. Really bad. I respect DJ for the way he has played this year. He has played really well. He's exceeded expectations that we have given him at the preseason where, in fact, we didn't think he was that good. Here's the problem. There's a difference between a Toyota Camry and a Mercedes-Benz. Both can get you where you want to go. But what's the better car? Now I know you can argue... uh, well, Toyota Camry lasts for 200 something thousand miles and Mercedes-Benz doesn't. 
But in all of all, who, what would you rather have? Would you rather have a Toyota Camry or Mercedes-Benz? Everybody's going to say Mercedes-Benz most of the time. Unless those cheap states, they say Toyota Camry. Clemson right now has a situation like that in the QB room. They have two cars, or two QBs, that can get them where they need to go. The ACC Championship and beyond. But one of them is a Toyota Camry, DJ. One of them is a Mercedes-Benz. The Mercedes-Benz is brand new. He's got a bunch of wheels. He's got a great motor slash great arm. And, and he's waiting behind, waiting in the garage to be unleashed. And Clemson has dialed that back. Klubnik looks more controlled. He's less turnover prone. I understand it's been a short bit and a short sample size, but you cannot tell me from that sample size that you've seen on the field that he has not looked better than DJ comparing those two. DJ at times has looked stagnant. He's turned the ball over way too much. Now, he's played really well, but this was the first time he has faced a defense that has elite potential and is good on that side of the ball, really good on that side of the ball. And he had three turnovers in three quarters. Klubnik led them to two scoring drives. Now understand they leaned on Will Shipley, but at the same time, th- there's no design, there's no arguing the talent that Klubnik has and the talent that he can show. I look at it almost like a, a Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence situation. One one is uber talented, and he's just waiting his shot for for you to unleash him. And, and then the last time, the first game a couple years ago, Trevor Lawrence versus Kelly Bryant, Trevor Lawrence had finally started against Syracuse. That was his first start. It kind of reminds me of this club net coming in and taking the place of, of DJ, even though DJ is still considered the number one QB. Now we have to take into account, with DJ at the helm, how will this offense fare against an elite defense? Because Notre Dame's no slack. Notre Dame has a very good defense. Offensively, a little rough. But defensively, they can hang with Clemson. They showed it against Ohio State. So how, how is Clemson going to perform against Notre Dame in the upcoming weeks, especially with DJ QB? Question, a lot of questions surrounding Clemson right now on offense. Syracuse. Look, I don't have a lot to say about the good or the bad. I know your offense stalled, but and you should have won the game, but if you look at the positives, they are who we thought they were. They're a very experienced team. They're a well-coached defense with a couple good skilled players on the offensive side of the ball. But talent-wise, you can't compete at every position. But yet, you're competing on the field. Great story. They just have a ceiling. And I think we saw that ceiling on the field. Syracuse, your, your identity found on the defensive side of the ball kept you in that game. What I worry about is that five-carry number for Sean Tucker. You cannot get out of your identity on offense. 
Because I think that could ultimately have cost you the game, not getting the ball to Sean Tucker. You were focused so much on Garrett Schrader and focused so much on his running ability and focused so much on his passing ability and the ability he has at quarterback that you got away from your probably your best player on offense in Sean Tucker. Uh, and that caused a lot of drives to stall. That, that shows in the six punts that you had in the second half. But again, I don't want to harp too much on the bad. It's a great story, but you have a ceiling. Your ceiling, 9-3, and 10-2 this year. That's that's what I can see. So you can hope you can hope for the best. You can hope for maybe a New Year's Six Bowl. I don't know if you'll get it though. Now you look at the AC the ACC, the outlook for the ACC. Clemson is well in the driver's seat. Uh and for the Coastal North Carolina I would say they're firmly in the driver's seat as well. Clemson has a two-game lead. Their next two games, I believe, are against Louisville, which I would consider a, a win for Clemson as of right now, and Notre Dame. Notre Dame's not an ACC team. North Carolina, on the other hand, has a two-game lead with games against Georgia Tech, Wake Forest, NC State, um, and Pittsburgh. You could lose two out of those four games. You lose two of those four games, and we're looking at a very, very different scenario for for North Carolina, who's going to come out of that coastal. As of right now, I'd have North Carolina as the favorite, um, but but we'll see. All right, let's move on. What happened to Ole Miss? It's a serious question. What happened to them? Because uh, they got absolutely smacked. I mean, they, they got a butt whooping by LSU. LSU was handing out pain, if I can explain it in, in the best way possible. What are our initial thoughts on LSU? Their only losses are to Tennessee and FSU. On the road. FSU on the road. Well, neutral site. Technically on the road. Technically they're at home. Uh, you, you can say what you want. One could say that they're overrated. They haven't played anybody. And Ole Miss was overrated anyway. Or you can go by the reaction, overreaction that this team can't compete for an SEC championship. Both of those, the way you swing them, are would be a gross overreaction. No. LSU's not overrated. And LSU, I don't believe, has the talent to compete for an SEC championship against the likes of Tennessee or Georgia or Alabama. I just don't see it. Now, if they pull the upset against Alabama, then yes. Do I believe that that LSU team could come in and beat Tennessee or Georgia? No. So, to say compete is very different from being in the SEC championship. So, I don't think they can compete. Now, I will say this about LSU. It's a very, very different team than what they were in the first game of the year. Very different team. You look at the way they played against FSU and how the offense struggled, and you look at how the offense is playing now— it's a completely different script. It has completely been flipped on its head. The wide receivers are blooming. Jaden Daniels is playing at an elite level, not only running the ball, which we know he can do, but he's passing the ball at an elite level, which is something he hasn't done in his career. My only concern is now you have a date with Bama coming up. How is that offense going to perform? How is that defense going to perform? If you can... 
beat Bama and make it to the SEC championship in your first year under Brian Kelly, that shows a lot about the impact he's already made on that program. Now, the other question is, where are the Brian Kelly haters at? Where are all the haters that said he just doesn't fit in with the culture? Where are they at? They're quiet now because Brian Kelly's 6-2 and and, and LSU's on a roll. You have to look at what Brian Kelly did at Cincinnati and at Notre Dame, and you have to say this, winning translates no matter where you go. It does. Does recruiting translate anywhere you go? I don't think you can make that argument. I think winning translates anywhere you go. And as of right now, what Brian Kelly's doing at LSU is very impressive, and you you have to give props where to do. And right now, all to do is to Brian Kelly and the way LSU is performing right now. Ole Miss. I had my praise about LSU. Ole Miss's defense, what has been their strength for most of the year, allowed 35 first downs and 500 yards of offense. Yes, I said that correctly. 35 first downs. When a team has 35 first downs, you're definitely not going to win the game. Because not only does that mean that they're moving the ball down the field, but that means that they're holding the ball for a very long period of time. The offense... We knew that the offense would take a step down with Matt Corral, and we didn't know how much the defense would step up. But when you have a game where the defense doesn't step up, you have to look at the offense and say, how are you going to respond? And the way that the offense responded was scoring 17 in the first 18 minutes of the game and then absolutely being stagnant for the rest of the game. They had a field goal in the second half, in the first half. They did not score the entire second half. That cannot happen. It cannot happen against a team like LSU, especially the team that's clicking on all cylinders like they are. And it cannot happen in an environment like Death Valley at Tiger Stadium. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to win the game. You're not even going to compete against an SEC team if that's what you're putting on the field on offense. And, and, and the blame, does it go to Lane Kiffin or does it go to Jackson Dart? Because I think Jackson Dart has had a decent season so far, but he has not been anywhere of what we thought he could be at Ole Miss. There could be many factors for that as well. It could be he's learning a new system. Um, It could be he's maybe not as good as we thought he was. Multiple factors. Uh, But again, it took Matt Corral a little bit in that Ole Miss system to get going. I think it'll take a little bit for Jackson Dart to get going. He's still learning it. So that may have a little bit of um, impact on how Ole Miss plays on offense. All right, let's move on. Number nine, UCLA versus number 10, Oregon. UCLA 30, Oregon 45. I know I said that backwards. Don't get on to me like that. I don't know what I thought of this game. I was watching it. And I'd never seen an Oregon team be as efficient as they were. Oregon absolutely killed it on offense. I mean, they, they, they were phenomenal. You look, six out of the first seven drives ended in a touchdown. The one drive that didn't was a field goal. That's, that's insane efficiency. 
That is insane efficiency. You're going down the field and you're scoring a touchdown on all of those drives or a field goal, you're getting points. It's very, very hard to beat if you're doing that. And Bo Nix is slinging it across the field. He's getting the receivers involved. He's getting the tight ends involved. And then not only is the the passing being phenomenal for Oregon, it's also helping their running game. Their running game had 262 yards on the ground against a formidable UCLA defense. You you cannot say enough of the job that that Oregon offense under Bo Nix is doing. It's impressive, and good Bo showed up. Good Bo showed up, and when good Bo shows up, Oregon is a very tough team to beat. Oregon, also for the Pac-12, you can consider them a contender. Um, They're a real threat to USC and Utah, as if they weren't before. But as of right now, the way Oregon's playing, you can definitely say that this Oregon team is a favorite right now, even a threat to USC and Utah. Um, Now, does Utah have Oregon's number? Yes. Is USC's offense capable of keeping up with Oregon's? Yes. But the defense, the way Oregon's playing, the offense, the way it's playing, the way they're really binding together and, and really being cohesive on both sides of the ball, I, I look at Oregon as, as probably the, the the favorite right now to win. And a lot of that has to do with Dan Lanning. He's done a tremendous job in his first year. Chip Kelly. Homecoming was definitely a disaster um, for UCLA. Offensively, they just weren't that efficient. Well, no, let me take that. They were efficient. They didn't have a punt. But they weren't efficient in the red zone. They weren't efficient on their side of the field. You cannot get into a football game as high scoring as that and come away with three field goals. Settling for field goals was the difference in that game. If you want to stop, if you want to stop Oregon, if you want to compete, you cannot flip-flop field goals and touchdowns. It's not going to work. And that's what killed UCLA in the end. You're being efficient on offense. You're moving the ball down the field. You didn't have a punt, but you got to get touchdowns. You can't get field goals. And they could have been, it was 10 to 3, 10, 10 to 7. And then they went for a field goal. It was 10 10. Oregon scored. It was 24 to 10. They scored twice. And then you got a field goal, and then Oregon scored again. So that was a. 10-point turnaround right there because you ended up with a field goal instead of a touchdown. Pac-12 is interesting um, playoff-wise. They're hurting themselves. They're almost, they're almost beating the Big 12. All the good teams are beating each other. And there is there's not an undefeated team in the Pac-12. I don't know how many people actually believe that a one-loss Pac-12 champ could beat out a one-loss SEC, a one-loss Michigan, or even Ohio State, or a one-loss Big 12. Because I look at that, let's say you have a one-loss, this is playoff playoff scenario here, a one-loss Pac-12 champ against a one-loss SEC. Let's say that one-loss SEC, this is not a champ, too, it's just a one-loss. Let's say that one-loss SEC is Georgia. Does a 12 and 1 or 12 and 1 Georgia 
win out over a one-loss Pac-12 champ? I mean, I think so. I mean, depends on who it is. If Oregon is the Pac-12 champ, then yeah, George is going to beat him out. What about Tennessee? Tennessee would have one of the most impressive wins against Alabama. And if Tennessee's one loss is a Georgia, a close loss, then you can make the argument for Tennessee being over them. What about a one-loss Michigan or Ohio State? Their only loss would be either those two to Michigan or Ohio State. That would be their one loss. You can make the argument for both of those teams being over. You can make the argument for a one-loss Big Ten, Big 12. If you have a one-loss Big 12 champ, like TCU, like Oklahoma State, there is, I would take a one-loss Big 12 over a Pac-12 due to the fact that the Big 12 is better than the Pac-12. It just is. There's more competitive, there's more competitive teams. Uh, there's just more competition in the Big 12. So as of right now, I don't see a Pac-12 champ getting in. Any of them. UCLA, USC, Oregon. Utah's not getting in. They're two loss. They're definitely not getting in. All right, let's move on to the Big 12. Big 12 breakdown. Uh, TCU beats Kansas State 38-28. They were down 28-10 in the second half, the second quarter. They came back and won, obviously. But my worry is, is TCU continues to start slow. They started slow against Oklahoma State. They're starting slow against Kansas State. What happens if they face a team where they cannot start slow against? What happens if they play Clemson and start slow? What happens if they face an underdog and they start slow? And that underdog gets momentum. That's what worries me for TCU. As of right now, do I see any people on their schedule beating them? No. But there is the worry that if you start too slow, you can't always come back from every game. There's still a no, though. You got to give props to Sonny Dykes. Oklahoma State beats Texas 41-34. You know, all Mike Gundy, Mike Gundy does at Oklahoma State is win. He just wins. Oklahoma State's 6-1. and one. I look at the rest of their schedule, and I could see... I draw my phone there. I would favor them in every game they face the rest of the year. And that could set up a matchup between TCU and Oklahoma State. And we know how that first matchup ended in overtime. They beat Texas. Texas 5-3. and three. This is with Quinn Ewers, by the way. He did not have a great game. 19-49. Uh, that's just it's not going to get it done, Quinn. You have to be better than that. Um, especially against a team like Oklahoma State, um, who is not going to... Um, they're not going to put their foot off the gas. They're, they're going to come at you on offense and on defense. Last game, Big 12. Baylor and Kansas. Kansas has lost three in a row. Rip Kansas, America's team. Not much I want to say about this game. Both teams are equally... Not bad, but okay. They don't really have a shot. For a Big 12 hope. Or a Big 12 championship. But credit to Kansas, credit to Baylor. Kansas, nobody expects you to be here. Baylor, I was hoping better for you, but great win against Kansas. All right, let's let's move on to one game that I am deeply, deeply mad and angry and even saddened 
over. Duke beat Miami 45 to 21. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you think I misspoke? No, no, no. That was the final score, 45 to 21. Miami got absolutely manhandled by Duke on their home field. They lost by 24. And to top that off, they had eight turnovers. Eight turnovers. I don't care who you play. You can play an FCS team, and you will lose that game if you have eight turnovers. That is unacceptable. Unacceptable. Especially with the talent that they have at Miami. Miami's not a bad team. Miami was projected to win. To win the ACC Coastal. But you're sitting at 3-4? and And it's not like your losses are good losses. You lost to A&M, who's 3-4. You lost to Middle Tennessee State. You lost to Duke. I'll be Duke's not bad this year, but they're not great. At at what point are we going to say, at at what point are we going to give grace to Mario Cristobal, but also criticize him? Because I hear a lot of Miami fans saying, all right, it's his first year. Is his first year so what? It's not like Miami was left in shambles. It's not like you can look down the road and see where Florida State was a couple of years ago or where Florida was last year and say Miami was left in a state like that. Miami had a solid quarterback in Tyler Van Dyke who was waiting down there. They had a solid defense. A team that could compete in the ACC. And Mario Cristobal comes down there and you place that on the field. As a Miami fan, I would be livid. I would be absolutely livid with what I'm seeing. Now, criticize, but be patient. Mario Cristobal has a proven record at Oregon of taking a team and making them compete for championships in their division, in their conference. So maybe I'd say be patient. But you cannot deny the fact that seeing eight turnovers on the field makes your hair stand up on the back of your neck, makes you cringe, make you want to take a cold shower because you're so mad. It's just bad. It's just bad. That's that's the best way you can put it. Bad. Uh, And then we jump straight to this team. South Carolina beats Texas A&M 30-24. Hey, Beamer Ball is 5-2. Ranked for the first time in a while, South Carolina, number 25. You got to give some credit to South Carolina. They're playing really well. They're improving. I like what I'm seeing from them right now. Now, how many times are we going to talk about AM? I feel like I've talked about AM so much. And the same thing happens over and over and over and over every time I talk about them. What has happened? Generally, that 
genuinely, that is a serious question. What has happened with Texas A&M? How do you go from being a favorite to being a, a, a favorite top 10 team? A favorite in the SEC West? A favorite to compete with Alabama? A favorite to, to compete for a playoff spot? A f- Get this. A team with the best recru- recruiting class of all time. And you're three and four. Pause. Rewind. You're three and four. With the best recruiting class of all time. And a team that is talented enough to compete. We saw it against Alabama the last two years. They almost took Alabama down twice. That's a cause for concern. And you have to ask yourself, as a Texas A&M fan, what has Jimbo done at his time at Texas A&M? What has he done? In most years, besides the COVID year, the weird year, he has lost three or more games every single year. At AM, there is a standard you must meet. And right now, that standard is not three or more wins, three or more losses every single year. It's three or less wins every single year. If you're coaching at AM, it's 10 and 2, 11 and 1, 9 and 3. 9 and 3 being your bad year. 10 and 2 and 11 and 1. And 12-0 being your best year. There's a reason why Kevin Sumlin was out the door. It's not that he was a bad coach. It's that he didn't consistently... He wasn't at a consistent elite level. To coach at AM, you have to have a consistent elite level that you're always meeting in football in Texas. It's hard in the SEC. You got to compete with so many... But the facilities that you have, the people that you have around you, the boosters that you have for AM, you should be blowing the teams that you are losing to out the water because of what you have there. But you're not. And you know what you can point that to? You can point that to QB play. You can point that to the offensive side of the ball. The offensive side of the ball that Jimbo is ahead of, that struggled for years now especially this year, in a new modern era of college football, and he's stuck in the same offense he was stuck in in 2014 with Jameis Winston. Great, it worked then. Doesn't mean it's going to work now. Adapt. Right? Evolve. Hate to use evolution here, but evolve into something better. In college football, it's survival of the fittest. If you don't have the fittest program, you're not going to win. It's as simple as that. Oh, I hate ranting like that, but sometimes it needs to be done. Sometimes it needs to be heard. Last game we want to look at, Alabama and Mississippi State. Alabama won 30-6. to Alabama covered, but if you were watching the game, Alabama didn't look great. They looked on all right on offense. They looked all right. 
They didn't look like the elite Alabama they, they've always been. Defensively, they look great. They held Mississippi State to a last-second touchdown, but they held them zero points the entire game. But Mississippi State had plenty of opportunities to score, and they didn't capitalize. And that's what you have to look at. You can't just look at the you can't just look at the score. You can't just look at the box score and say, "Oh wow, Alabama dominated." No, you watch the entire game. Mississippi State was in that game most of the most of the time. They were right on the edge. They just could not. They could not finish. So. Alabama now, you're you're looking at a team that has one loss and hasn't looked impressive. So if you take if you take another loss, let's say you take a loss in the SEC championship and you're eleven and two, you're not making the playoff. You'll make it to New Year's six bowl game. But but is that the, that's not the standard at Alabama? You got to meet a certain standard, and with a team that he has, that Nick Saban has, an eleven and two Alabama team would be a disappointment. It would be a disappointment. Man, that's it. This is a fun podcast. I had a lot of fun. Um, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, y'all. Uh, a quicker podcast today, but again, we didn't have a lot of the guys. We didn't have Trey. We didn't have Zach. We didn't have Grant. They will soon all be on the podcast so we can all have fun together. Uh, it, it'll be fun. We got we got four mics set up in here, uh, me, and, me and my little chair, uh, and, and we're going to have music along the way. Hopefully Grant doesn't play Rocky Top for Tennessee. Uh, again, we are on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. Um, we are on rss.com. Uh, please go give us a follow. Go give us a like. I'd really appreciate it. Uh, that is it for the podcast, y'all. You have a good night.